Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Hope your week is going well so far. We'll talk to a family that took a game night and woodworking and combined their passions into a booming business. Hellbenders, a salamander-type animal found in Missouri rivers, is prospering thanks to the work of the Department of Conservation and the St. Louis Zoo. The Missouri Department of Natural Resources wants your photos for this year's annual photo contest. And as you get outside, you'll be dealing with allergies. Elisa Nelson talks to Dr. Maya Moody, the president of the Missouri chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. I want to start off by talking about how the the season change can make a difference for our mood and our overall health. Yeah, absolutely. We know that, you know, having the opportunity to get outdoors and more people are more comfortable getting outdoors in the warmer weather than they are in the cool, you know, cold gray days of winter. And so now that we're greeted with longer days and more sunshine after the time change and um, some warmer weathers and birds chirping and green grass, a lot of folks like to get outside and feel that warm sunshine after the winter of being indoors. So talk about um, what benefits it has, um, nature has, on the mood and overall health of, of individuals. Yeah, so we know that nature um, has benefits to both um your cognitive, so like your emotional or well-being and how you think and process and even how kids learn um, can have positive benefits. But we also know that it can decrease cortisol or that stress hormone that we feel and that folks have decreased anxiety, depression, um, increased focus and general mood after spending time in nature. So in green spaces or blue spaces, um, even a walk in a city park at your lunch hour can, can do the trick. Now, I, I have to say, I think sometimes being outdoors is like the best medicine, um, just just tagging on to what you're talking about. I mean, but here's my problem, and I wonder if some folks have the same. It's like the motivation sometimes towards the beginning of spring. Um, what suggestions do you have for people who might have, you know, some of their, they're still working, they're, they're trying to move out of the winter blues? And right. they're they're not motivated to get out and enjoy the fresh air and the sunshine. What what suggestions would you have for them? I would say, you know, start small. All good habits take time and take practice to develop. And so make um a smart goal, something that is achievable. You you know what it is, you can write it down, you know, something like I'm going to spend five minutes outside on Thursday, <laughs> you know, but it's something very specific. And then you just kind of expand and grow based off of those achievements and really success breeds success. So making sure that, you know, you're keeping track of that and, and make note of your mood and how you feel, you know, if you have time for, you know, just take a little moment of reflection um, and then, you know, use those smaller successes to, to keep going. So just like eating an elephant one bite at a time. Right, exactly. This is one step into a green space at a time. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, is prescribing time, enjoying nature, is that like a thing in the medical community? It is starting to be, yeah. And, and there are more and more, um, you know, scientific 
research that's coming out that's showing the benefits of nature. Um, you know, so many of us were, um, you know, caught inside during COVID times and the, you know, only place to do or to go out in the open air was in nature. And so, um, and even, even before that, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a, a systemic re- review about, um, the benefits of nature and and how that can help um, not only kids but their adult caretakers as well. And so, making sure that um, folks are happy and healthy as a general pediatrician, that's my job. So, um, you know, I I prescribe nature or or make nature prescriptions in the office um, for everything from you know mood concerns, winter blues, um, even you know new, new moms that have little babies trying to get them just kind of up and moving if they're having some of those baby blues as well. Um, And then, of course, you know, for folks who may be overweight or obese or have, you know, we're seeing type 2 diabetes younger and younger these days. And so really trying to get folks to to be active and, and focus on that kind of a fresh mindset. Dr. Maya Moody, the president of the Missouri chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, joins Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. You know, you talked about the pandemic. I'm curious what what mental health is looking like these days post-pandemic. Yeah, we're we're seeing a lot more uh, mental health conditions, especially in children and adolescents. You know, it was happening before the pandemic, and then it just kind of spiraled with with the pandemic. And we're we really truly are in a mental health crisis in our country for our children and adolescents. Um, so it's really important for families, caregivers, schools, faith based communities to really focus on those simple things of community and supporting each other, um, you know, spending time outdoors, healthy diet, nutrition, sleep, all of those things are really part of a happy and healthy lifestyle. And I think it's, it's time for us to refocus on, on those simple things. You know, speaking of um, an increase in mental health issues among children, I'm hearing um, just from a couple of folks who have children they'd like to, um, they've been looking for uh, psychologists to talk to. It seems to be hard to find one. Um, do is Are we lacking mental health providers, especially for children? Um, and is there anything else, any other suggestions that you have there um, if people are, have it have, running into problems trying to find a mental health provider. Yeah, absolutely. Again, there was a shortage before the pandemic, and now with the increased demand, it's even more critical. Um, and so, what I would suggest is reaching out to your primary care provider, either you know your pediatrician or uh, whoever you see for those well child checks. Their office. Um, schools often have some resources. Um, there's also the mental health 988 uh, number that went live. And it's not only for a suicide prevention line, but also for mental health services. So that's a, another good option. Um, and 
perhaps one of the good things about the pandemic is that, you know, all of us kind of had to make that pivot to doing virtual based services. And so for some of our more rural areas, you know, I'm glad that we're focusing on broadband access because that's also um, now a, a healthcare access because we can um, provide some of those services like mental health counseling or family, you know, therapy um, via the internet and, and over, um, you know, an online platform. Let's shift gears here. Let's talk about springtime allergies. Tis the season. What should people know about this spring allergy season in Missouri? Well, if you're a Missourian, you probably have allergies. And if you're a new to Missouri, you're certainly probably going to find out that Missouri is full of springtime allergies. Um, you know, we, we love to see those blooming trees and also the flowers and, and the wonderful parts of nature, but that can also come with some itchy eyes and some runny nose. Um, and so we don't want folks, you know, for that to be a reason that they can't go outside and enjoy nature. So talking with your, you know, primary care provider about a daily preventative allergy medication, um, you know, knowing what you're allergic to so that you can check those specific pollen counts and Maybe you don't go out on the day that, you know, a certain tree or flower that may be, you know, high that day. But you can make some adjustments before and after you get out in in nature. Let's talk about this uh, spring allergy season in particular. Is it um, expected to be milder or pretty typical or worse this year, Dr. Moody? You know, I think it's probably on par to be to be typical. It really kind of depends on on how the weather fluctuates and and when the freezes come in, and if we're going to get any more late kind of late spring freeze. But again, you know, the the Allergy and Asthma Foundation of Missouri has a, some great resources for folks to keep an eye on those pollen counts and the trends. So if it's a particularly wet spring, does that seem to bother people more so without the people with allergies? Again, it depends on what you're allergic to. So if we have a very wet spring, sometimes the folks who are allergic to that mold or the mildew, um, they may have some more um, symptoms. You know, um, on days where there's high winds, you know, the pollen folks may have a little bit more trouble because that pollen is floating through the air um, and, and more kind of mobile. So it really kind of, it's it's a lot of the weather and your exposure, kind of what's around you and, and kind of having that identified um, allergy. That's Dr. Maya Moody, the president of the Missouri chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Mom and dad used to argue about everything, especially about dad's drinking. My family went from totally crazy to quiet, calm, and even peaceful when mom started going to Al-Anon family groups. I wanted a better relationship with dad, so I asked mom if she would take me to her Al-Anon meetings or to Alateen. I'm sure glad I did. If someone's drinking troubling you, you might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon or Alateen family group from people just like you. Call 1-888-4-AL-ANON or go to alanon.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering, too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help.
Christmas. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanonorg slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today. Spring is here. Take advantage of the weather. Go to a state park. Take in some scenic landscape and take your camera or your phone. The Missouri Department of Natural Resources wants your photos for this year's annual photo contest. Anthony Morbeth is with Scott Smith. Well, the uh, 2023 Missouri DNR photo contest, which, as you mentioned, has opened on April 1st, it's a chance for amateur photographers of all ages to submit their entries of um, photos that they have taken at Missouri State Parks, at historic sites, or just all around Missouri, that kind of captures and enhances what makes Missouri great. You know, Missouri has over 90 Missouri State Parks and state historic sites. They have so much beautiful scenery. We've got rivers, lakes, streams, everything you could actually want in the outdoors we pretty much have here in Missouri. And the 2023 Missouri DNR photo contest is our opportunity to give the public a chance to showcase the beauty of Missouri while showcasing their skills as uh, photographers. And I was looking at uh, the photos in years past through the DNR's website in prep for this interview, and, uh, boy, there's a lot of really gorgeous pictures out there of uh, the show-me state, if you will. Well, I can tell you, our entries opened on April 1st. We received almost 50 entries so far, and we've gone through those entries, and 99% of them if not 100% of them already, we can put in the breathtaking category. These entries have been fantastic. Uh, some of our past entrants and past winners have been wonderful. And in talking with folks that have been doing the judging in the past, 
They say it's uh, some of the most rewarding yet stressful uh, work that they have to do uh, in order to kind of look over all the entries and decide who is best among the best. And on that same note, let's talk a little bit about the categories, because I'm reading there are several categories and there are several different types of images here that uh, residents and Missourians alike can uh, take and submit for this contest. Yeah, the entries we're taking uh, entries, you can submit photos into the following categories. There's natural resources. That basically includes photographs of Missouri's air, water, landscape, the waterways and stuff like that. Uh, unique places is also another category. That category includes photography and photographs taken within the state parks and historic sites. And we've got a list of them on our website at modnr.gov or on mostateparks.com. And we also have a category of people enjoying Missouri outdoors. A category is basically photographs of people spending their time enjoying and exploring the great outdoors of Missouri. So any of those categories are uh, what we're taking photographs in, and that just leaves it wide open to the uh, type of photographs that people can submit. So on that same note, how are the winners chosen? I, I know that uh, the entries in the images can include everything from weather and scenic landscapes to historic sites and state parks and things like that. So uh, when uh, September the 1st comes around, how are the winners chosen? Well, essentially, once uh, the deadline passes in September, uh, we have a group of uh, team members at the Missouri Department of Natural Resources and Missouri State Parks that uh, will look over all of the entries. And, you know, to give you an idea, last year we had 721 entries in the contest. And they will look over all the entries, uh, and amongst them they will decide probably the top 20 to 30 uh, photos in each category. And then from there, more uh, team members from the Department of Natural Resources and State Parks will look over the finalists and take a look at those. And then they'll judge um, and, and award first place in each category of first, second, third, and honorable mentions. And those are usually um, announced by the end of the year. And then from there, what I'm reading is... Um the judge is going to be choosing first, second, third, honorable mention. And what I think is kind of cool is that the winning entries will be featured on the department's social media platforms. Oh, yeah. Uh, most of the uh, winners, uh, the winners will be um, recognized on social media. They'll be recognized on our websites as well. Also, the photo uh, photos that we'll be getting during uh, the process of the contest, uh, they can show up at just about any time if you follow us on social media, Department of Natural Resources, or Missouri State Parks and Historic Sites. We use those photographs in, for future um, posts on our website and our social media. And obviously, it's an excuse to get residents and Missourians alike a, a way to, to get out to explore the great state of Missouri and things like that. If you're just tuning in, we're talking with Scott Smith, social media coordinator with the Missouri Department of Natural Resources and Missouri State Parks. I, I think that this is uh, just a cool photo contest. I know that you guys have been doing this for a couple of years now. And, and what is uh, generally the the average turnout that you see by September? Well, um, this is the 10th year for the DNR photo contest, 
And in years past, we've, like I said, we've received 721 entries last year. Our highest came in 2020 when we received over 1,000 entries of photographs of people sending us uh, photos from state parks and historic sites across Missouri. We average several hundred entries every year. So there's always an abundance of entries that we get from people all over the state of Missouri. And as I said earlier, it's really hard to pick a winner among all these fantastic photos that we get. And as you had said earlier, it is a, a kind of a chance for us to get people out to Missouri State Parks and historic sites. We have over 90 state parks and historic sites. And from a personal standpoint, I, I absolutely love the state park system. We, we've gone, my wife and I have probably gone to about 20 to 30 state parks already, and we're ready to head uh, this summer and fall to several more state parks. And this just gives us a chance to get people out and about to explore the state parks, to take the photos and send them to us at the Department of Natural Resources in Missouri State Park System. In regards to the actual photos themselves, is there criteria for what types of photos? Now, sort of, let me explain. Uh, are they allowed to be pictures taken from your cell phone, especially nowadays with how amazing technology can be? Do they have to specifically be cameras? I don't even know if people have physical cameras anymore. And just random things uh, like that that just cross my mind. They can be photographs however you take them, whether they be from camera, your phone, or anything like that. Uh, if they're able to submit those photos on our website through the portal that is on our website uh, that you'll find at dnr.mo.gov, then you'll be able to submit those entries. Any entries uh, from any state park or outdoor setting in Missouri, we'd be more than happy to take as part of the contest. The other thing that I think is worth mentioning and referencing is uh, in regards to this contest, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, you can also look on uh, the DNR's website for this annual photo contest and look at the photo albums from the entries submitted in years past. Absolutely. If you visit the website dnr.mo.gov on the front page of that uh, website, there is a banner for the Missouri State uh, Parks DNR Photo Contest. Click onto there. That'll take you to the page where you will um, find uh, the information on the categories, how to submit your photos. You can look at previous uh, DNR Photo Contest winners from 2022 all the way back to 2014 and uh, get more updates on the issue. You can sign up for updates on uh, the photo contest whenever we send out a news release on them or a reminder any way about it. You'll get updates on those as well. And again, that's at mo, uh, actually at dnr.mo.gov. And on the front page of the Department of Natural Resources website, there will be a banner that says Missouri DNR Photo Contest. Click there. It'll take you right to everything you need. Any closing comments or thoughts before we let you go? Uh, just to say that, uh, again, Missouri State Parks and Historic Sites, what a way to uh, lose a day or lose an entire weekend. Uh, just exploring the state parks, learning more about the history of Missouri at the state historic sites. And we just say this a lot at state parks. There's nothing better in the state of Missouri than to get outside and enjoy it. Show me the day. 
Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, They stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
We're back on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. We've talked with the St. Louis Zoo before about hellbenders, and they've been working with the Missouri Department of Conservation to uh, bring back their populations. And a zoo-raised hellbender has successfully reproduced within the current river. And joining us now to talk about the latest news on the hellbender is Jill Pritchard from the Missouri Department of Conservation. Jill, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me, Bill. Happy to be here. Well, since uh, some of our listeners may not have heard the the first interview that we did, because that was a long time ago, explain what a hellbender is and where they're typically found in Missouri. Yeah, so hellbenders are kind of a funny species. They they have a few... um, little nicknames, including uh, mud puppy, just because of their their unique look. They are large aquatic salamanders, and they are mainly found in uh, very high-quality rivers and streams in southern Missouri in the Ozark region. Um, Missouri is actually the only state that contains both recognized subspecies of North American hellbenders, the Ozark hellbender and the Eastern hellbender, unfortunately, both of which are listed, are, are excuse me, are listed as endangered uh, by both the state of Missouri and by the federal government. Yeah. And some of that, if I remember correctly, was just because of uh, environmental change and and just things of that nature. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Their, their primary threats that they have faced um, our habitat alteration, disease, predation, degradation, overcollecting, and then, of course, degraded water quality because they are a great indicator of wa- water quality. They, they require uh, very clean, well-oxygenated water in order to thrive. Joe Pritchard is joining us from the Missouri Department of Conservation, an update on the hellbenders. Uh, and so talk about how uh, Department of Conservation and the St. Louis Zoo came together and came up with this idea of raising hellbenders at the zoo and then setting them back out into the wild. Yeah, that partnership with the St. Louis Zoo began in the early 2000s to breed these salamanders in captivity and rear eggs collected from the wild in order to combat the drastic population declines. We are so thankful to have that partnership with the St. Louis Zoo in order to breed these unique salamanders and then later release them in the wild in order to to combat uh, their population declines. So this has been going on since the early 2000s, and just recently a zoo-raised hellbender uh, successfully reproduced within the current river. Now, I'm assuming that this is a male. Was this a father hellbender? Yes. Yeah. This, we got a daddy. He's a father. Okay. Um, I, I didn't yeah, know. The, I, I didn't know if maybe uh, the mom was pregnant or had eggs at the zoo, and then so I just wanted to clarify. Okay, so it's a it's a dad. We got a dad finally doing the work. <laughs> yeah. The it's it's. It's a little different for hellbenders. The the fathers, once they once they um, uh, reproduce, the, the fathers are the ones that attend the nest and protect over the clutch of eggs. So a little different. Oh, kind of like Mr. Mom then. <laughs> exactly, Mr. <Yeah>. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Jill Pritchard joining us from the Missouri Department of Conservation. Well, how do you um, how do you keep track of hellbenders that were raised in the zoo and, and hellbenders that are 
that are naturally in the river to begin with. Yeah, so we're able to know that we have a hellbender that was raised at the St. Louis Zoo because they have a small microchip embedded under their skin with a unique number that allows biologists to identify the animals in future encounters. Wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, well, okay, so now that we've had the first, uh, I would say if it's taken this, well, I, I don't know. I don't know the, the time frame. If you say early 2000s, I mean, we're talking close to 20 years. Have There's not have obviously been a lot of success up to this point. Well, we started releasing the hellbenders in Missouri in 2008. So once they, the larvae reach between three to eight years old at the St. Louis Zoo, then we release them into their native Ozark aquatic e- ecosystem. And so this particular um, male that we found attending this clutch of eggs on the current river, he was collected from a natural nest of eggs on the current river in the fall of 2013. And then he was released once he reached of age in 2019. And then we found him attending this clutch of eggs just this past fall. So based on his size, this is likely this father's first year of reproducing. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Well, this is great news that uh, they can be raised in the zoo and then put out in the wild and naturally they they know what to do to kind of take care of business. This is good for their uh, future, isn't it? It absolutely is. We couldn't be more thrilled about this significant milestone that we've hit. And it's just one step closer to um, to combating those population declines and hopefully eventually getting them off that endangered species list. Jill Pritchard from the Missouri Department of Conservation. Was this a Ozark uh, hellbender or an Eastern hellbender? This was the Ozark hellbender. And so how are the populations doing now as opposed to the early 2000s? Bill, I can say that uh, we're, we're in the right direction with, with this news that we, we, we've just released as far as finding this nest of eggs. And the good thing is, is that finding this nest is, is likely that there are other successful nests out there that we just haven't come across yet. Yeah, that's great news. Do you know how much longer uh, the Department of Conservation and the St. Louis Zoo will work together with the hellbenders raising them at the zoo? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I'm not sure on the timeline, but I, I believe that this is a partnership that um, is going to continue for the foreseeable future. Yeah. That's good. And uh, and people, just to refresh memories, uh, people don't really come in contact with hellbenders. They kind of keep to themselves low along the river, right, in, in rocks? Yes, that's very true. They're a very elusive species, and uh, we do recommend if anybody does come across a hellbender, just like with any member of wildlife, is to leave them be, enjoy the sighting, um, because, yeah, they... They're they're such a specialized species, and they're they're they require uh, you know that that oxygenated water, and especially because they are an endangered species, we really don't want people messing with them if they do happen to come across them. But uh, but yeah, great job by the Missouri Department of Conservation and the St. Louis Zoo taking care of hellbenders. Jill Pritchard, thanks so much for joining us. 
Thank you, though. Happy to happy to be here. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Matthew. Oh, oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so I accidentally avoided it. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Back on Show Me Today, chess, checkers, mancala, all great family games. Uh, One family in Warrensburg combined their passion for quality time and woodworking to create their local business, Three Trees Workshop. Cameron Connor is here with co-owner Synthony Epp. We've been in business for about eight years now, and we started out, we were living overseas. We were living in Kenya and moving back to the States, and Um, realized it was a good time to start something new. Nathan has been a woodworker for, you know, since he was a kid and we had talked before about maybe making a business out of it. And so we were coming back to the States. We didn't have jobs lined up. We were about to have our first child. We thought, well, why not just add another crazy thing to the mix? Let's start a business. 
So we moved to a new town that we'd never been to that was sort of in between our families. We rented a tiny house and had a one-car garage that we filled up with woodworking equipment and got started there. Had our first baby, got, got moved to Warrensburg. It was a crazy few months. I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing it that way, but that's that's how we got our start. <laughs> Either way, definitely a loaded itinerary, and it seems to be working out just well. I mean, looking at going to your website, which is threetreesworkshop.com, and seeing some of the elaborate pieces and different boards that you all have created, you can tell that there's definitely a passion in it. Can you kind of describe like the process of wood making or woodworking some of these boards? Sure. Yeah. Um, and I have to add a caveat. I'm the one that does the business side, the mm -hmm. bookkeeping and the order fulfillment. Nathan's the woodworker. And it's a it's quite a complicated, uh, quite an involved process. It starts from the rough boards, choosing the right boards with um, the wood grain that's going to look the best, um, depending on whether it's a board made from one wood or two. The chess boards obviously have two different woods. And so finding a good contrast um, some of the other pieces are just one solid piece of wood, like the mancala or the cribbage boards. So they look for a, a piece with nice grain and um, the right thickness. Cut it to length, plane it down. For the chess boards, it's a process that takes several weeks. Cutting all the strips, gluing it up, cutting it again, gluing it up again, <laughs> adding the borders. Um, and then, of course, a lot of sanding, hand sanding, hand finishing. It's a lot of it's really a labor intensive process. And you can really deceive how much that that handcrafting and the detail goes into all of these. And for anyone who's just now listening, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Cynthia Epp. She is the co-owner of Three Trees Workshop, which is just a fantastic local company that builds basically any of your tabletop handheld games such as you know, they have chess, pegs and jokers, things like Mancala, Chinese checkers, checkerboards in general, anything that you can possibly get. And that's going to be at threetreesworkshop.com. Okay, I have to ask Cynthia. So I'm looking here. You, the mascot, I want the backstory of it. It's the squirrel. The squirrel is the mascot, which for a lot of ways makes sense. But what's your what's your thought process for that being, I guess, <laughs> the logo of the company? Yes, that's a, it's a funny story. I mean, it's when we started out, I'm not necessarily the creative mind behind the logo. When we were starting out, we uh, settled on the name Three Trees because it was a nod to the woodworking aspect and also to the fact that we were um, having our first child. And so we were growing from a family of two to a family of three. You know, my sort of scientist brain thought, oh, we'll have a logo that has three trees in it <laughs> because <laughs> what else would we do? Um, my sister-in-law was the one who uh, kind of doodled this little squirrel and my brother's a designer and he's the one that came up with the logo. And when we saw that, we thought, oh, actually, that's that's more fun. That's more creative. We'll go with the whimsical squirrel. Oh, yeah, that's, that's great. And it makes so much sense because like you think about obviously with trees and everything like that, squirrels are always around it. And like, I don't know, I'm just picturing maybe it's just my silly brain doing this from the from the interviewing side of thing but you know it's like this little squirrel making all of these boards like gnawing them out or something i don't know i thought it was <laughs> i guess one of the things that i i do have a question of is for you and your family specifically because this is a family locally owned business and you all have so much passion towards it do you have a favorite game that's handheld that that you guys make that you prefer to play or what, what about from that regard? Do you, do you have a favorite or are you just kind of starting to become masters at all of them? <laughs> How does that work? Yes. Um, I would say, well, we have two kids now they're five and eight. And mm -hmm. so they're, 
getting into prime game playing ages. Uh, we love to play Chinese checkers as a family. We can all four get around the board and play that. Uh, Mancala is another great one for, for the kids, um, the ages that we have. Our older daughter is getting into checkers and she's really wanting to pick up chess. So we'll be evolving, <laughs> we'll be moving up in the complexity. My husband, the first game that we made was actually cribbage and that's a great two person card game. Um, Nathan and I played that when we were living in Kenya. We didn't have a TV, we didn't have a lot of other things to do in the evenings. And so we we played cribbage some, so that was, that was our first game. The reason we got into making games in the first place was um, just out of a desire to bring people together, to interact in real life, to to play games. We grew up playing games as kids in our families. And, um, you know, there's technology is great. It's a great way to be connected with the rest of the world and to know what's going on. And um, we have all kinds of information at our fingertips. But there's really something to be said for sitting down and looking at someone and across the table and playing a game in person. And so we wanted to make that the focus of our business. I can relate in so many ways. I had family game night with whatever it was, whether it was, you know, tabletop board games or cards or anything like that. And it is a great way just to bond. And well, as you're talking about that, it, it's kind of sparking a curiosity question in me, especially because you're on the business side of things. I'm assuming that especially when the pandemic occurred and there were so many people that were trying to basically find new ways or new hobbies or new ways to interact because everything was secluded. How was that for you guys from the business point of view? Was it was it a difficult time, obviously, because of the pandemic, but also I'm assuming that there was also a large interest in getting back into some of these games, right? You're exactly right on both of those counts. Yes. So when the lockdown happened, of course, we had to let our employees go for a while. We were able to bring them back, but we had had some inventory built up. And as soon as um, that happened, people started staying home. We saw a huge spike in demand for the games because exactly as you said, people were staying home. They were at home together looking for things to do to pass the time. So yeah, we saw a lot of demand there. We, we weren't able to keep up. We kind of sold out of everything we had and then had to, to back off taking orders there for a while. And the pandemic has brought other challenges, of course, with supply chain issues. Everyone's heard about that. It's prices of lumber are going up. It's harder to get certain things, but certainly the pandemic didn't hurt demand. It funnels into my next question. I guess just kind of relating it to now, and that is, so you make all these different games. You told me your family's favorite. What's the most, I guess, what's the most popular inventory thing that you guys sell? It would definitely be our chess sets. Mm -hmm. We, I have to say, we, we make the boards by hand here in our shop. We don't make the chess pieces. We're not set up for that. Um, but I don't know if you ever saw the show, The Queen's Gambit on yes. Netflix. That yes. was big a couple of years ago. So we had the pandemic hit, orders went through the roof. Then The Queen's Gambit came out and we could not keep up. <laughs> People went crazy for chess. It's always been popular. It's, you know, a great classic game that appeals to people of all ages and all skill levels. But um, yeah, it's always been our top seller. I would say the second is that game you mentioned, Pegs and Jokers which we had never heard of. Um, we used to set up here at our local farmer's market and a couple of the other vendors came over one day and said, hey, we have this game. We want you to make us some paddles for it. And so we said, okay, whatever that is, we'll do it. That's fine. It's turned out to be our second most popular game. Pegs and Jokers is sort of like sorry or Parcheesi, but it has wooden paddles that fit together to make the game board. So you can adjust the size of the board for how many players you have play it with cards and 
pegs and we get a lot of business, a lot of orders for that. Just word of mouth. Yeah, no, so, such a unique one. And it, especially after you mentioned Queen's Gambit, I hadn't even thought of that. That would make a lot of sense for why demand for chess would go through the roof, too. And you think yes. about it, too, in the Missouri area, especially in St. Louis, that's where the World Chess Hall of Fame is and like the impact there. So there, Missouri already has a pretty strong presence for that game in particular. But and once again, for anyone listening, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. We are here with Cynthia Epp. She is the co-owner of Three Trees Workshop. The wrap-up question that I'll have for you, Cynthia, is if anyone has a way to contact you or has any sort of questions or requests, where, where do they go to find you? Yeah, our website um, is just www.3treesworkshop.com. My email address is there. Um, my phone number is there. People can email me, text, call with any questions. Once again, this is the Three Trees Workshop that we are talking about. You can go to www.3treesworkshop.com if you have an itch or a hankering to get back into one of these traditional, family-friendly loved games. Once again, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. All right, wrapping up here on Show Me Today, I'm Bill Pollack. I need someone to explain this traffic law to me. Follow me now. I'm in the right lane, and I have a green light. And at the next street, I'm going to turn but there's a yield sign. Oncoming traffic in the left-hand turn lane has a green light, but they need to yield before they can make their turn. That's what the sign says. But this happens to me all the time. As I go to make my right-hand turn, and there's no other traffic going along with me, those people will turn left, cross over two lanes, pull in front of me as I'm slowing down to make the right. Now, I was taught that if you're making the left, crossing two lanes of traffic that I not only need to yield to that traffic, but I need to give way to any cars that might be making a right-hand turn because they have the right-of-way. So both of us having green lights, both of us have yield signs. Uh, who's in the right? Who's in the wrong? It's, it's something that just boggles my mind. Well, now a lawmaker in the Missouri House is proposing that we allow to make a left on red lights as well in certain circumstances. That could be an absolute nightmare. All the states that border the state of Missouri have this law. And so to make it convenient for all drivers uh, in those in the region, uh, I think that it would be good to have a law that is consistent. Uh, it would be from a one-way, you would be able to turn left on a red light, just like you do red, right on red, except you're going to turn from a one-way and turn left onto a one-way unless there are signs that specifically prohibit the maneuver. You know what? Honestly, I, th I thought there was a law already. Oh, my. Well, we'll hear from Representative Richard Brown on tomorrow's program. Thanks for listening. Show me today.